welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. If this is your first Sunday, or perhaps uh, you haven't come for a Sunday, make yourself right at home. We're picking up, we're almost halfway through Galatians. How many people appreciated the series on Galatians? We're now entering the second half of chapter 3. So, before we start, um, uh, I stand that of late we have been standing up. We've done this as well as we're going to stand up, um, not out of a, a, a religious exercise, but out of respect and to try our hearts right for the word of God. Can we stand together as we read Galatians chapter 3? We're going to start off um, from verse 14. And I'm going to ask Stella if she could read it out for us. We're going from Living Translation. Thanks, so when you're ready. Jesus, oh, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he has promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Dear brothers and sisters, hear an example from everyday life, just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is, so it is in this case. God gave the promise to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant any descendants. Rather, it says to child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be cancelled. 430 years later, God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angel to Moses, who was the mediator between God and people. Now a mediator is help if more than one party must reach agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his to Abraham. Is there a conflict in God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scripture declares that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. For the way of the faith in Jesus in Christ was available to us, we were placed under God by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law of our guardian until, until Christ came, it protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now the way of the faith has come. We no longer need the law as our guardian, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all have been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or slave or female and female, for you are all in, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true, true children of Abraham. You are His heirs, and God's promise of to Abraham belongs to you. Let's pray. Father, would you help us by the power of your Spirit, and not just hear the word, be shaped by the word for your glory? And all the said. Amen. Someone on air high five would. There we go. There we go. And grab your seats if you haven't already. 
Okay, so Paul, priestly Saul, gets dramatically, dramatically, powerfully changed by Jesus. Jesus appears to this man. He has this encounter. Paul, out of an encounter, is transformed. That's a, that, that is the most obvious fruit of an encounter with Jesus, is that you are changed on the inside. Saul becomes Paul, renamed. He then goes on a missionary journey or two. He plants churches in the southern province of Galatia. That's now around about Turkey. And there are at least four churches that he plants in this region. He now writes a letter to these churches to which he is planted. He is looking to address a couple of things. Number one, he addresses some symptoms that he sees in the church. There are some symptoms that he sees. He sees division of sorts in this church. He sees a sense of perhaps elitism in the Jewish Christians. Looking down perhaps at the Gentile Christians. He sees a veering away from the church. And so he's going to address the symptoms. He does more than that. He also wants to address and treat the cause of these symptoms. And the cause of it is that there is a moving way of the gospel of grace. This is an incredible truth. When we move away from the gospel, the true gospel of grace found in Jesus and Jesus alone, we start to veer away. Our identity starts to shift. We lose our identity. So here the church starts to lose their identity and Paul comes with a stinging rebuke. You can read back in the last few chapters. He says, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has cast you under a spell? What your version might say. He's not all nice and prim and proper. He is so loving, he confronts with truth. And truth sometimes does that. Hello? Sometimes the most loving thing to do is to confront with truth. Because Jesus, it says in John's Gospel, chapter 1, is both truth and grace. He's not just grace. He's not just truth. He's truth and grace. Truth and grace in Christ. Paul comes in truth and in grace, starts to confront, says, how could you veer away from this message, this gospel to which you've been saved, you are being saved? Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that he has done it all for you. Believe it. That is the gospel, the good news. It is that it's not about doing, it's about it's done. We get nothing of value to the message of the cross. What is the message? He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we preach Christ crucified. He's died. He's done it. When Jesus was on the cross, he says, it is almost finished. It is almost accomplished. It's done. So when Jesus made that utterance, that declaration, either we are going to agree with it or we're going to try to it. I don't know about you, but at times I find myself subconsciously or consciously trying to beat myself up and put myself on the cross for which Christ has done. I can't do that. I, that, that adds no value. Self-righteous gets me nowhere. It's done. Gospel is the good news. It's finished for us. And the reality of that revelation will transform how we live. The gospel is perfect. The message is pure. It's brilliant. It's, it's foolishness. For some, it doesn't make sense that a creator of the world would send his son to die so that we could live. It doesn't make sense. It's foolishness. And so I have no right to add gospel because if add to the gospel, I take it from its power. It can't be done. And so Paul, you can't add any word, you can't add anything to this message. You can't add to this, 
this be made right. You have been right already. So don't try to strive. Don't try to work yourself into a place of standing. You're already there. If you try to live that way in your own strength and rely upon that, your sense of right standingness, you're taking away from the message. You believe different gospel. So it's a stinging rebuke to the people that absolutely love. And he now starts this conversation about the purpose of the law. The command, some 613 commands. 613 commandments. Six hundred and thirteen. Three hundred and sixty-five negative commands, which is don't do this. And two hundred and forty-eight positive commandments, which says do this. So you have the don'ts and the do's. The don'ts, three hundred and sixty-five. Perhaps you think of that as three hundred and sixty-five days in a year. Two hundred and forty-eight. Any doctors here? Two hundred and forty-eight what in body? Bones, 208 bones in your body. There is 113 between the two. 613 commandments. How could we possibly uphold all these do's and these don'ts? What was the purpose of God doing that anyway? So comes to address that. And we find that God gives a promise that's alongside the demands. Let's read a bit again, can we? I'm going to go from verse 14 to eight and through Christ Jesus. God has blessed Gentiles with the same blessing to Abraham. If you're writing in your Bible, I like to highlight, you'll note that this word promise cup a few times, particularly in this chapter. You can highlight it if you want. Promise, promise. The same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through working really hard. No. Through faith, believing, very simple, believing, having faith. Dear brothers, sisters, here's an example from day life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham, his child. And notice that the scriptures say to his children, if it many descendants, rather it says to his child, and that means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not cancel 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. That the Ten Commandments. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be a result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. If you're taking notes, write this down. God's word is his bond. He will never break a promise. Just a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. There's a song in there. Write a song. Waymaker. I've even got the chin right. What's the promise to Abraham? He promised Abraham not just relationship, but there would be blessing upon him and upon his seed or his son. There's a promise that was given. And it was through his son talking about the seed of Christ, through which we are now all included in this blessing. What is this blessing, this inheritance? It is promise made. And what did Abraham do? He just believed. He believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Righteousness, we can say, is right standingness. It's being in the right place before God. And if God says it, we should believe it and that can settle it. So anytime God makes a promise, just believe it. 
Don't try and work it out your promise. This is the beauty of our relationship with God. It's not a contract, it's a covenant. A contract is if A then B, and there are conditions attached. But God the covenant, He fulfills it. Where we can't fulfill it, He fulfilled it. In fact, all these commands and the laws that, that were put upon humanity, the requirements of the law God had for us, Christ fulfilled on our behalf. Jesus did all that. Have you ever had someone who were promised and break it? I'll get the next coffee. You get this one, I'll get the next coffee. Promise I'm not going to be late. I promise I'll be here on time. <laughs> and had that promise broken on them before? Oh, don't put your hand up. I promise it's my shit for dinner next time. What about this promise? What about if you had some sort of uh, Indian musician, guitarist friend that's come up from a teen challenge a couple of months ago and you're having coffee with him and he goes, oh, I missed Pastor Josh, I'll come to Lager and play. And next time you, and then you see him in Ellenbrook playing and the presence of God come. I don't know, maybe better give that promise. Look at it anyway. <laughs> good to have you with this guy. The good news is, it says in Isaiah chapter 55 and 11, God's word does not come back to him empty. If he says it, he means it. If he says it, he'll fulfill it. So what's the promise that perhaps he's given to you? What's the promise he's given to all of us? As his people, it's, it's most important to understand the promise he's given to us as a collective. That he'll leave us or forsake us, we have promise. That judge been poured upon his son, us, the wrath of God, has poured upon the cross, not us. There are so many incredible promises. I want to encourage you, know the promises of God. How do you know what that is? Pick this thing up. Dust it off. Eat this thing. Come on. We are becoming increasingly illiterate, biblically, in today's day. Sometimes I'm picking my Bible up and I'm oh, let me just see what's happening in the full scores. Any dock reporters here? Sorry about that. You get distracted, right? But the promises of God, knowing those promises, cite faith in us. God calls for us to not fulfill promises, but just accept them and leave them. Believe what He has said. So what about, perhaps, is your personal promise? Maybe he has spoken something deep within your heart. We see many people in Scriptures where God speaks to them and gives them a promise, perhaps to them about something that's going to happen. Here's a promise that my mum was personally given. I remember being about 12 years old. I was in church in Girawin Family Worship Centre, and uh, this, this, this man that moved in the prophetic and in the word of knowledge came to the church service, I was sitting there with my mum, and he calls my mum up, and he prophesies to her. He says things that no one else could have known, which gave some credibility. I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention here. And then he prophesies and declares to her, God is going to bless you the house. Who will promise? My mum sat on that promise for about 15 years. She didn't hard at it. She didn't tell everyone about it. I knew, and she prayed it through. She believed in it. And do you know what happened? 15 years later, when I was about 26, 27 years old, she was given a house. Someone gave her a house. No mortgage attached to it. Worth $500,000. It's more than that now. It was a purse that God had given to my mum. And do you know what my mum did? She just accepted it. She believed it. 
She was shaken by it. When, <laughs> after that, my parents separated. And then you're looking at the reality of the situation. Could this possibly happen? But she just believed God. She believed and prayed and she thanked. God's saying he's going to give everyone here a house. No, I'm not saying that at all. But I tell you what, whatever it is that God has spoken to you, hold on to and thank him for it. If it's his promise, he will accomplish it. And he says he will do. Don't doubt him. Trust him. Trust his power to accomplish it. Because his power is better than ours. What's spoken to you about? It's on verse 19 says, Why was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave the law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he was promised to Abraham. Well, is there conflict then between God's law and promises? Well, absolutely not. If the law gave us new life, we could be made right God by obeying it. Verse 22, this is important. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Only by believing in Jesus Christ. Only. Not mostly, sometimes, not when you're feeling good, but... We receive the blessing. We receive the freedom. We receive the inheritance only believing. A belief. Not just to believe that. Believe in. There is a difference. Satan believes that Jesus is God. But he does believe in Jesus as God for him. For us, it's really important that we believe that Jesus is God for us. Hello? Have you had the personal revelation yet? Have you given your faith, your trust, belief to Jesus and what he's done for you? So important to note, our inheritance comes by grace, through faith in Christ. That our inheritance comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Our inheritance, the promise is fulfilled only by giving. Only by giving. You can't work at it. You can make it happen. It's His promise and He does But Josh, that's too Paul. That's the beauty of the gospel of grace. C.S. Lewis says the demarcation, the demarcation between the faith options and the faith found in the rest of the world and the world religions is grace. You can't work it. It's worked for you. Oh, but just do this and I do and all these do-dos. Put all the do's together. We've got a big pile of do before God. Got all those do-dos that you did for me. It's nothing. Compare what I've done for you. Don't trust in There's nothing we can add to Jesus to make him more beautiful. There's nothing that we can do that would cause him to love us any more than he does right now. There's nothing that we can do that cause him to love us any less than he does right now. Jesus plus nothing, everything, everything. I studied at university engineering for five years. They teach you level mathematics. I'm going to give the equation, the mathematic equation that trumps them all. Jesus plus nothing is everything.
So we are made right. Your version, if you have a little version, it'll be justified. Justified. Justification. Justification is actually a really key word for us. Literal translation. Justification is just just as if I've never seen. Justification speaks our place of not just having the the credit card or the credit card debt wiped away is a positive in statement of that as the father looks to the son, so now he sees you. That the perfect record assigned to Jesus by faith, we now have accredited to us. Calvin says that the journal, the teaching of justification, is the hinge on which all other doctrines and teachings hang. Which means what we believe about being made right with God is foundational for everything. Grudem, Wayne Grudem, a systematic theologian, really cluey, switched on guy, he defines justification this way. He says justification is where God accounts forgiveness of sin to us in Christ and then considers the righteousness of Christ and declares that to us. That is, it is, he says, it is a legal declaration for us. Being made right with God, being justified, is a legal declaration to us that we are forgiven and we are absolutely positive righteous right now. Which means right now, this morning, you've maybe kicking and screaming or dragging your feet in the mud into this house, into the warehouse, and you don't feel like a Christian. Don't let your things get in the way of fact. The fact of the matter remains. And Romans 8 tells us there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1, chapter 4 is, there is no condemnation. At the end of that chapter, finishes off with no separation. There is nothing that can separate us from the love in Christ Jesus. And how are you loved? Unconditionally, entirely, completely. Not because you've done anything, but because He has. So the law is given. And uh, it is fulfilled in Christ. We have it reckoned to us, imputed to us by faith. Romans 5, 1 tells us, since we have been justified by Faith, we have peace with God. It's by faith, very simply. By faith, we're made right with God. And then God gives us the law. Well, I like the law. Because the laws get me in trouble. Has anyone been in trouble the law before? Mm. A few years ago, I got myself into trouble. Concrete cowboys. A policeman. And there was a season about or probably nine months, where I wondered if the, the Australian police force, the need to become my paparazzi, because I kept getting my photo in the mail. <laughs> the photos, my mouth was open, and I'm pretty sure I was singing worship songs that time where my photo was taken. Hey Lord, I'm worshiping you now, and I'm getting for it. But I can argue with it because I'd broken the law, right? Don't be angry with the law. The law shows us up. So God gives us the law. Why? To show up. And the law, perhaps we can put it this way. Law does a few things. It grounds us, it guides us, and it guards us. So it grounds us and shows us up. Oh man, we really need to be saved. It guides us, shows us how to live. It guards us. We hear the New Living Translation says, it's like a protective custody. 
And so God gave the law to his people and his people say, oh, I love your law. I delight in your law. What, are you serious? How could they say they delight in the law? It's because it showed them how to live. God wanted his people to know how to live and he showed them, gave them the markers on how otherwise they'd have no reference. So now that Christ has come, the purpose of granting, guiding and guarding us is fulfilled in Jesus. We now have the Lord living in our hearts, and not just living in our hearts, it's filled by Jesus. So Christ is the fulfillment of the law and of the prophets. So they point at us getting upset with the law because Romans tells us, Romans chapter 7 and verse 12, I think, says it's good. The law is holy. The law is righteous because it comes from God. It's an act of grace. Funny that the law, the gift of the law is an act of grace. God didn't need to give it to us. But he did. And so the law was there to to guide us and to get us for the time that Christ Jesus can come. So what do we do with it then? My encouragement, friends, don't buy the law. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Paul's addressing Christians that had believed that they were saved, once believed that they were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then they're thinking, hang on, to complete this work of salvation, we've got to eat a certain way. And we've got to observe the Sabbath a certain way. And we still got to go through the uncomfortable exercise of circumcision to complete the work of God. Paul's like, oh, that's living. You're going back to that. You don't need that. So for us as believers, where are we trying to live by the law to get our sense of righteousness? Where are we trying to perfect God's salvation in us? Where are we trying to do that? Are you relying on your goodness to get into God's good books? Do you think by coming on a Sunday morning, going to love you anymore? Do you think that by reading your Bible more, God's going to love you anymore? Do you think that by raising your hands in worship, falling to your knees, that God's going to love you? No, these things are all good things can't rely on those things good habits read your bible worship, pray seek god good for you but don't think that god loves you anymore don't think you become unrighteous because of those things think that you'll be in a better place because of those things trust that he is done have we got good swimmers in the room good swim you're a good swimmer you're a good swimmer. any other good swimmers good sw- okay i'm not a great swimmer I'm Indian. <laughs> What's that got to do with anything? You want to know what that's got to do? How many, how many Indian swimmers do you see entering the races? Really? Get in the water. No, I'm not doing that. It's never big. I said, do your maths. What maths I can do? Dine your boat, I will do that. I'm not getting in. That's too cold. <laughs> I've kind of wanted to go to Mauritius. Anyone been to Mauritius before? Okay, it's about 6,000 kilometers west of where we are right now. 6,000 kilometers. an idea. How about a group of us get together, we go to Frio, and we start swimming to Mauritius. Don't worry about the roaring 40s. Don't worry about the shark-infested waters. I'm more concerned about the jellyfish than Lee. Let's swim. Is it going to work? <laughs> Trying to get to Mauritius swimming is absolutely ludicrous. Just like trying to 
receive the promise fulfilled in you by the law. Imagine in the same token, a few hundred meters down the yard is this massive big cruise ship called the HMAS Jesus. There's no coronavirus on that cruise ship. And it's nothing to get to Mauritius. It's free. All you've got to do is hop on. That's positive. Hang on, what's the catch? You're telling me to go to Mauritius for nothing? I've just got to hop on? Yeah, that's right. Who's keen to go to this now? What's absolutely fascinating, as simple and beautiful as that is, we still try. We, there is something about legalism, works of the flesh that is so active. What is it about trying to get their elves that's so attractive? Oh, no, no, I'll swim there. I don't, I don't deserve it. That's not possible. Someone else, surely that can't be the case, that you can get just for nothing. I wonder if the great attraction to by works of the flesh and doing things in and of ourselves and our own strength appeals to our own sense of control. Because we get to control what's happening. We get to say how we're going to live. But faith, ugh. I wonder if a reliance of works of the flesh is really systemic of fear because of control. Where fear and faith are on absolute opposite ends of paradigm. God says, hey, fear, have faith. Now, what's interesting is that we hop on HMAS Jesus on the way to Mauritius as the Galatians lived. Yes, we are made right. We are living the life eternal more. And Paul, hey, you guys, you're halfway there and now you've jumped off the cruise ship? You're starting to try and swim now? Are you crazy? And we as believers have got to be careful to not trust in ourselves, not trust in the works of the flesh. Get there. Because leave peril. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in God. I've been a Christian now for a number of years and still sometimes I'm there enjoying this amazing cruise ship with Jesus. I'm sailing and he's doing it. And I kind of just want to tip my toe into the ocean. What would it be like if I just find myself and I got there myself? We're almost there. I'm almost there at Marina's. I can just hop in there and I can swim the rest myself. Paul says, nope, you'll die. Remember the gospel you started with? Remember the faith you started with? You've got you to get through. Perhaps this is the message for some of us here this morning. Get back on the boat. Get back on the boat. Let's read verse 23. Before the way of faith, excuse me, before the way of faith in Christ available to us, we were placed the guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until it could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ, baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, civil free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise. Abraham belongs to you. So, Choose the reality you want to live under. As a striving slave, 
or a thriving son. Now adopted into his family by believing. Cool. Believing. Well, hang on a second, Josh. Hang on a second. What about the law? What, what, what about the Ten Commandments? Do we throw that out now and just ignore it altogether? No. In fact, the freedom that we now experience, particularly... Um, you see, Western nations around the world, when they were founded, the Judeo-Christian ethics has stemmed from the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? The Ten Commandments is foundational for the freedom we now experience. Now, they are still absolutely important for us to help us how to live. We're still called to live by them. That's not what makes you right. Thou shalt not kill. Well, hang on. Let's throw that law out. I can kill whoever. No, that's still a good thing. Don't kill people. Hey, thanks for the tip. But that's not what's going to be right. So look upon what you rely upon. Once we have faith, once we have an encounter with Jesus, our life changes. So we are saved by our good works. We are saved for. God does a work in us and the fruit then goes. I was with girls a couple of days ago and going to bed, we're just having a talk. I'm Grace and we're just chatting about um, listening to mum and dad. And I'm, as I'm about to put them, I'm talking about how Father God treats us. And we're talking about the love of God and, and how do we hear Him. And as I'm talking to Sinesa, I, I say to him, you know, God loves us so much. And when I know how much God loves me, I want the right thing. I don't do those rights to be loved by God. I do because He loves me. I said, that's the same with mum and dad. When mum and dad talk to you about certain things, no, we love you regardless. Even when you mess up, girl, and believe me, they have their moments even when they're up, we love them entirely. Why? Because they're our kids. They're ours. In the same way, we have a heavenly father, and because of Jesus, we are adopted into his royal family. And he loves us, which means we have access to the king. I'm a king's kid. I don't know about you, but I'm a king's kid. My dad runs the universe. And the more that I rely upon that relation, it kind of stands my spine up a little bit. Like, I don't, I'm not like, I don't think I've, I've got to earn myself into God's good book. It could have been done for me. And more that I dwell upon that revelation, I see transformation. So I focus less on behavior modification. I dwell more upon the heart transformation. And my life shifts. And at times, I veer off into worksism, legalism. I remember it's been done for. I've got to rely on Jesus. And I'm adopted into a royal family. I'm royalty. It gives me a sense of confidence. So the revelation will show itself with how I live. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and we're going to share. Ephesians chapter 2. Just do a couple of verses. This is 8.10. I love this passage. It gets me excited on the inside. It says this. God saved you by His... Hello? Is this seeing me? God saved you by His... Hello, that word grace. When you when worked really hard, he saved you. When you upheld all of the commands, he saved you. No, when you believed, 
And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. None of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned long ago. Last verse again. We are right now God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation. Whether you feel like not, you are new, Jesus. Why? So we can do the good thing he planned for us long ago. You're new, and because you're new, you can do good things. And those goods he's planned so very long ago. Just didn't come to this earth. He wasn't sent his father to um, help people behave better. Jesus didn't die to make bad men good. Jesus died to make dead men live. Jesus has come to awaken you. To lift you up. If you're blind that you would see. If you're deaf that you would hear. If you're dead that you would come back to life. A dead person can't revive themselves. Only God can. And only God can regard. Have you had a revelation of Jesus yet? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done for you? You have access to him. I was thinking about this in this last I was I'm just thanking God for my family and then I'm thinking about my daughter, who's four years old, and I was about to finish up a service in Malaga, maybe months ago, a few months ago, I'm there in the service, about to close, and we're waiting on God. I'm at the front of the stage, holding my microphone, and guess who comes up, right up to me? In the middle of that, my daughter Hope, who's four years old. She comes up, I hold her hand, we just continue to pray for the church. I was thinking, that's the kind of access that we have God. He's not too busy for you. Not too bad for him. There's never a convenient moment that he's not waiting to just embrace you, to hold your hand. He's done it all that needs to be done, and he still includes you now in this moment. All that needs to be done has already been done, and that was only a couple of thousand years ago. There's nothing that he needs to do to prove his love for you. I don't know what we're waiting for. Show me, prove to me that you've me. He's done that already. There's nothing else in here. Like he's like, oh yeah, I've got another son. I've got another daughter hiding in the back there. And then down to die now. He, he gave everything to show love for us. That while we were still sinners, died for us. And once we receive Jesus, we have all we need. Believe that. Believe that. Believe that. In Jesus, we are his workmanship. That means, that means he looks at you and he sees a trophy of grace. He looks around and he says, there's a trophy of grace right there. Marit is a trophy of grace. Points to Marit. Mario, a trophy of grace. Points to Mario. Tristan, a trophy of grace. Darren, a trophy of grace. Alex, a trophy of grace. He says, see... Kylie, a trophy of grace. Nothing, a trophy of grace. He says, see, see the, 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 these are kids. I love them. I love them entirely. They may not know it, but I love them completely. They can earn it. They can't take credit for it. I just do because they're mine. 
As we finish, we're just going to pray. Can I invite, Marie, can you come up with the band? I want to finish. I kind of just want to bathe revelation of God's love for us. If you feel unworthy, you need to know. It's because of Jesus that you're worthy. If you're feeling unlovely, it's because of Jesus that you're lovely. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.